Father God, I just give this time to you, to you, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are in our midst. Open our hearts to hear your word. Amen. So today I want to talk about the Christian perspective on materialism. What does it mean to us? Now, if you look at Psalm 82, I always look at Psalm 82 by, the, by Asaph, who was one of the three singers in the temple. And he said, God is sitting amidst the other gods. And usually when I used to read it, I would think of gods belonging to other religions. But now I know more than anything else is the God of all the gods of materialism. We think that it gives us power, respect. It, we think it gives us glory. I remember a colleague some years back told me, you know, when I went for the wedding, Dr. Rebecca, I got out of my auto, got out of the auto with my wife and my two children and nobody bothered about us. But 10 years down the line, when I drove in in my Honda and all of us dressed so well, people crowded around us. And I thought in my heart, how long will this last? So, but the Bible is very clear. You cannot serve God and mammon. But you know, when I talk to people, they say, but look, look at the scriptures, Genesis, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Psalms, everywhere God says, I will prosper you. I will prosper you. So when we belong to God, he prospers us. So over and over, I hear testimonies of people saying that when they, put, uh, when they accepted Jesus Christ, they got a house, they got a car. And I want to ask you, what does this prosperity mean? Like Job, when everything goes, can you say, my Redeemer liveth? So today, when we talk about materialism, what I want to ask you is, are we good stewards? Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we are expected to be uh, good stewards and we should be found faithful. And the problem is, you know, having money is something we all need. None of us can do without money. But as Timothy says, the love of money is the root of all evils. Because what happens we begin to love money and then slowly we, come, we become more and more comfortable, more and more comfortable. Then we say, why have one car? Let's have two cars. Oh, it'll be nice to have a third car. Maybe the children can go out. Why one house? Maybe a holiday house. It's not wrong to have it. But if you are focused only on that, then as you keep on increasing, you get into what I call a compromise, then you started compromising your values. You compromise what God has told us. And very often you get into a credibility trap. And James 1.8 says a double-minded man is uncertain in all his ways because we cannot serve God and mammon. I still remember sitting in government office after government office, trying to get some papers rectified. And everywhere the people would hover around and I'm sure they were hoping that I would give a bribe, that we would give a bribe. But you see, God is nobody's debtor. How often when we sat outside these offices, 
I've had a phone call and somebody said, Dr. Becky, where are you? And I'll say, I'm outside this office. And probably they had contacts. God uses people. The next moment, the peon would come and say, please come in. And those papers would be done. Over and over again through our lives, we have seen this. Never get into this credibility cap, cra trap because then do not speak Jesus. So I want to ask you, are you walking on the broad path or the narrow path? Is it God's path or a quick fix? Often I talk to people and they say, listen, when somebody, when you are sitting for papers to be done, for, your, for things to be signed, you know, you know, just give it, give the money to them and pretend you're giving alms to a beggar. Is that all right? I have people say to me, Dr. Becker, if a bandit comes to you and holds you up with a gun, won't you give them money? That's how you have to treat it. You cannot do it otherwise. So I want to ask you, what is your take on this? What do you feel? Because today, you know, money is good, but the love of money is evil. You know, we look about, you know, the golden calf. You know, when Moses went up to the mountains and uh, when he came down, these people, the Israelites, had put all their gold and everything together and made this big golden calf and they were dancing around it. Now, I want to ask you, do you dance around the golden calf? And then you'll say, of course not. But I want you to think again. Sometimes when I drive on the road, I see an advertisement for a school. There's a big hoarding there. And there are children with stethoscopes around their neck. And I ask myself, why stethoscope? Because today, a doctor means money. So in different ways, we are focusing, we are dancing around the golden calf. Many years ago, I attended a graduation ceremony. The huge hall was full of graduates. When the dean came to give the final charge, he said, you people have now got your degree. Go out and earn that degree by glorifying God. How many times do we tell our children, you finished your exams, use that degree and glorify God? Or how often do... The first thing we do is, how much are they paying you? How much are they this thing? Are they giving you a house? You know, it's normal to ask, but I want to ask you, how many times have you told your children? How many times have you mentored people and said, look at God. God is nobody's debtor. When you serve him, he will provide. You know, so in the book of Haggai, it says, you people live in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins. So uh, what are we doing? You know, Paul says to, when he writes to the Philippians, I am content. You know, not, not that I speak of uh, respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Is it possible for us to say, I am content. I am content. You know, the greatest joy we have, 
the greatest possession we have is Jesus Christ. Can you say, I have a roof over my head, three meals, I have a family, the love of my family. Are you content? Or is it these material things that bring you, you know, draw you? There's a discontent in you when you see people with more than you. The Bible doesn't talk about prosperity or poverty. The Bible talks about contentment. And then again, we are so much taught about sharing and hospitality. Do you keep all that you have close tight in your fist and say, it's for me and my family, me and my family. You know, two things that struck me very, very badly when I came back to this country in 1983, I went for a wedding and the food was just piled on people's leaves. Most of the food would be left behind and the waiters would collect it, put into a bucket and probably go out. When I was walking out back to our car, I saw these, the servers dumping, dumping the food in the bin. And then I saw little boys jumping into the bin, taking the food, licking from the leaf, all that food. I felt choked at what was what I was looking at. I could not believe a woman with a small child, her clothes in such a raggedy state, also trying, striving with the boys, pushing them aside to get some food for this child. And I asked myself, what are we doing? As Christians, can you bear to see that? Can you bear to see that you have so much and yet on the other side, this is happening. Sharing and hospitality. When my daughter was very young, about maybe six years old, she went for a birthday party. She came back and I said, how was the party? And she said, okay. I said, what do you mean, okay? And she said, it was good. I said, you don't look like you had a good time. And then she said very quietly, my friend has a very small house and our house is so big. What does she think of us when I bring her here? And at that moment, my friend, it was only God that gave me the word. And I told her, I said, who said this is your house? Who said this is your house? This is not our house. She said, of course it is. I said, no, this house belongs to God. And God has asked me to keep it clean and keep the fridge full so that anyone can come. This six-year-old took my words literally. My home has always been full of people. Anyone who needed to stay had a room to stay. Young students who got homesick in the hostel would come and stay. One time we had a German doctor and um, he hated the fact that he was in that hospital. So he came and said, uh, he was telling us I'm leaving. I said, what about all the money you spent for this course? And he said, huh, I don't care. We had empty rooms. I said, come and stay with us. In no time, he had made himself so much at home that soon I, I was regretting allowing him to come. He was there everywhere all the time using this, using that. The straw on the camel's back was once when he used all my CDs which I had bought 
and kept for recording. And I went down and I thought, no, I'm going to tell him to leave. And I have this habit. I don't know whether it's a good habit or bad habit, but when I'm very angry, I grab the Bible and I just open it. And when I opened the Bible, there I saw, it said, it talked about hospitality. To even be hospitable to all, even as you have received from God various graces. It, it said, grudge not, grudge not hospitality. So I closed and I thought, okay, God is rebuking me that I wanted to send him away. So he finished his one month stint. He hugged us. He was very emotional. He went back. Three months later, he rang again and he said, I'm coming from Germany to do another course and I'll come and stay with you. And I said, Lord, what are you doing to me? This time he came with his fiance and his fiance said something to me that I always remember. She said, he has never known a home because his mother's had four husbands, an early teenager at the age of 14, he left home and went away. And this was the first place he felt the love of a home. And she said, I don't know what you were doing, but every morning, even before the sun rose, he would come out of his bedroom and watch you. You would have the Bible open and you would be praying. And then he realized it was because of this that your lives were different. And I thought, my goodness, I almost threw him out. You know, we don't know what baggage people have. So, you know, be hospitable, share. If God has given you more, it's not for you to use more for yourself, but to use more extensively to share the kingdom of God with others. Because you can't serve God and mammon. We all know the story of the rich young ruler. Do not hold your money. Do not hold it because if God has given it to you, it is for you to use extensively for others. Because when you say you are converted, it means conversion of the heart, conversion of the mind, and conversion of the purse. And today, when we look at scandals of Christian leaders, it's always in three areas, pride, money, and sex. They become a law to themselves because they have so many money, so much of money, and then they think we can do anything. And if you look at it, money even poisons our faith. Why do we think that, you know, uh, the poorer people don't have the gospel? Why do our mission trips always go to poorer countries? What about the rich people around us? What about the urban areas? You know how often people say, God called me to do his ministry in the U.S. You know, God's calling, the American dream. How often, you know, we, we think of the great commission, but we forget about the greatest command. Of course, we need money. And it's so wonderful to write a check and give it to a ministry. But how about being the hands and feet of Christ? Is money all that Jesus wanted? Look at Jesus. He went to the poor, to the lepers. He went to the woman who was caught in adultery. He went everywhere to the 
blind. He fed the hungry. What are we doing? So, you know, when we look, the, you know, it's so easy to bring in a sort of degradation into your life. Matthew 6, 22 and 23 says the eye is single. And if you're focused, so if you're focused only on God, you know, what will happen is the, the eye is the light of the body. And, you know, your body is full of light. But if a little darkness comes inside, then slowly and slowly the light gets converted into darkness. And then how great is that darkness? That's why when you look at this moral and spiritual degradation, you know, if you read 1 John from 5 to 10, because in 1 John 5 to 6, this is the message that we heard from him that God is light and in him is no darkness found. So if I and we say we have fellowship with him, but if we walk in darkness, the truth is not in us. You know how easy it is to do things. You know, in all my life, I have not uh, given a false medical certificate. Now, supposing somebody comes to me and says, you know, please, you know me so well. I'm a good Christian. My boss won't give me leave, but this is a very important function I have to go to. Just this once, can you give me? And I think, you know, you know, I've never done it, but he's a good Christian. I know him so well, just as once. So what have I done? I've allowed a little darkness to come into my life, a little darkness. And so to the others, I'm still so good, but a little darkness. So hypocrisy has started coming in. Very soon, you know, in 1 John 1, 8, you see how as more darkness comes in, we start lying to ourselves. You know, then supposing this person comes back with his friend and says, you remember you gave me a false certificate? You know, he needs one so badly. And I think to myself, nothing happened. The wrath of God didn't descend on me. God understands. Our God is an understanding God. So I do it again. But you see, now I've started lying to myself. First, I was lying to others. Now I'm lying to myself and I'm believing it. And then after some time, I get used to it because more and more darkness has come in. And I think, why should I give it free? Let me get some money. So then you see, because 1 John, 1, uh, John 10 again says, you know, that we are not lying. But if we say we don't lie, we make God a liar because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you see, then we are making God a liar. So how easily when you and I get into this trap of a credibility, how when we lose our credibility and we allow darkness to come in, slowly and slowly, we have a double mind, a double heart, a double will, and we cannot serve two masters. So when we look at the biblical models that God has given us, you look at Abraham who went and tells the king of Sodom, I lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God. I, that I have not taken a thread or a shoe thong from anyone 
so that you can say that you made Abraham rich. You know, again, if you look at 1 Samuel 12, 3, you see Samuel's boldness. And he says, witness against me and before, his, before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken? Whose ass have I taken? Whom have I de defrauded? From whose hand have I received a bribe to blind mine eyes with? Tell me and I will give it all back to you. So my friends, we have biblical models. We have people who have you know, taught us how to walk that path. And I want to tell you some today that can we, can we walk that path so that we become the salt and the light? We stand there in, you know, we stand there wherever we are and they can look at you and say, that is a person who has the fruit of the spirit, who walks in its path, who keeps God first. Thank you very much. Amen.